live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. If you want to join us, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And the big story of this evening is that the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, He's been impeached by the House of Representatives in a vote that happened a little bit, uh, a couple, few hours ago, uh, later this afternoon, earlier this afternoon, uh, closer to evening time. And it was uh, historic in that he's the first person in 150 years, the first uh, cabinet secretary to be impeached. So uh, how about that? I didn't know if that was going to, if they were going to pull it off, but apparently they did pull it off. Uh, we also have um, some um, Bobolinsky action. We got uh, Tony Bobolinsky's uh, scheduled to give his testimony, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. And uh, this whole thing with Mayorkas, it it was uh, a vote that happened earlier. I think we have some audio of the vote. Let's listen to that. On this vote, the yeas are two fourteen, and the nays are two thirteen. The resolution is adopted. Wow, that was razor thin. 214 to 213. You got to thank God for Steve Scalise coming back from his um, uh, treatment. I think he was in cancer treatment and came back and was able to pull that one off. And all I could say is kudos to the House of Representatives for making this happen. Is this symbolic? Yes. Does this change the border? Does it shut the border? No. Does it make America any safer? I can't imagine. I mean, maybe in so much as not having Mayorkas there might make us safer. Like anybody's better than Mayorkas, anybody, including nobody. Uh, I don't know. I think it's symbolic and I think it sends a a very clear message. uh, One that we can hopefully use to gauge if there is public support for an impeachment of Joe Biden. I'd love to see that. I think you would, too. And I don't just say I'd love to see that because of partisanship or blood sport or anything like that. Uh, While there's probably a degree of that, I'm not going to lie, but it's more so I think that there has to be an element of being above reproach when you serve in government. Some element, right? Not everybody can be corrupt. Not everybody can be a slimy, shady politician like Joe El Baboso Biden or Que Malaeres, the uh, vice president of the United States. Not everybody can be like that, right? Somebody's got to be an altruist. Somebody's got to be in this for the right reasons. And every now and again, you have to make an example. So they made an example. Now, Joe Biden is going to say they're they're trying to tank this deal and blah, blah, blah. And again, that's got nothing to do with Congress approving any deals. This is a cabinet member who's part of the executive branch that's being 
um, impeached by the House. He's not going to be removed by the Senate. So, uh, again, symbolic, right? But I think it gives um, it gives way to some headlines. And wh- whatever those headlines are going to be, some of those headlines might be, of course, the media is going to say, well, you know, Trump acolytes in the House have uh, done his dirty work again. This is just the beginning. The writing is on the wall. They're going to use, they're going to weaponize government to go after their political opponents. If he's elected, you just wait and see. This is just the beginning. That's what they do, right? That's what they do. They paint pictures. Do you remember when they painted a picture? This one, I still hear. And for whatever reason, this is the one that I don't just, I don't laugh at it like I laugh at most. But this one actually, I think is so stupid that it actually bothers me. When they were where they were constantly saying that Trump was going to be taken out of the White House in handcuffs. At the same time, they were saying he wouldn't leave. And I sat there. I remember being in a radio studio in New York City. And I, I watched Trump get on Marine One and leave. And he went to Mar-a-Lago. I remember that like yesterday. And all I remember was, oh, where's the handcuffs? Where's the orange jumpsuit they said he was going to leave in? Now, I never, I never believed it to be true to begin with. But so many people were so certain that that was going to happen. And all I could think was, you know, it's amazing what people believe. And if you believe all of that, listen, I'm selling bridges. I got a bunch of them and, and they're cheap, right? I've got one in Manhattan. I got one in Brooklyn. I got you. Listen, I, I don't believe this stuff for a second. I really don't. I, I, I think that people, um, some people really do buy it. But most people look at this for what it is. And I think most people are going to say, oh, good. They impeached the guy at, uh, at the Department of Homeland Security. Great. I think most people are going to agree with me and say they should probably impeach Joe Biden for his dereliction of duty to secure the border, to keep our country safe, to uphold our national security. But he's not. He doesn't do it. So there we are. Mayorkas is out, and we'll get into a little bit of that as well. We've got the Bobolinsky testimony scheduled for tomorrow. Um, He's expected to explain how Joe Biden enabled his family to sell access to dangerous adversaries like folks uh, overseas, uh, the Chinese, the Russians, etc. And that's how they cut these deals. A lot of this money was funneled through uh, foreign aid like they always do through USAID. Speaking of that, oh my goodness, this huge bill passed the Senate tonight. And again, I don't have much faith that that it's going to uh, survive in the House. I, I don't know. I hope not. It's $95 billion of money for Ukraine and for Israel and Gaza, <clears throat> and if, and not a single dollar for what's going on at the border. So all I could say is it's probably a good idea for them to um, to cut somebody in, right? Cut somebody in on it, like these, these representatives in the House that need to go home and answer to their uh, constituents and cut them in on something saying, hey, look, I know that you guys represent Texas and, and – uh, Arizona and other border states and you need to to come back with a win. So we're going to we're going to send some money down there. We're going to send some troops. We're going to send this. We're going to, you know, something that's going to appease somebody that's going to shut the border somehow and help to secure it. But right now it doesn't look that way. It looks like we're just doing what we do best, taking money from Americans through tax dollars, redistributing that wealth through something called foreign aid and sending it to people like Zelensky and others, who then, I guess, backdoor it to others. Like Hunter, comes around the back door with his 
bag opened up. Say, hey, I'm here with my dad's bag. All right, thanks. I think too many people understand how this scam works, and they're tired of it. Anyway, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about a few other um, legal stories that are out there. What's going on with El Trompito, and will his cases halt now that the Supreme Court has decided to uh, pick up his case, the um, the immunity case, and of course uh, the Fannie Willis, the prosecutor in Georgia. Well, she's um, on the fence right now. It looks like they've got her up against the ropes. She may be disqualified. She may not be. We're going to find out what happens there as well. So stick with me. We've got plenty to cover tonight. Uh, I'm here with you till 1 a.m. It's me, Rich Valdez. And our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. And I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump filed an emergency appeal to have his uh, presidential immunity case uh, looked at, uh, the, the appeal that was just rejected by a three-judge panel. And we talked a little bit about this the other day, and I want to get into it a little bit more because I think this will ultimately hinge on whether we have a any trial, right? Any trial prior to the 2024 election in November, or if they all kind of get pushed back. And I don't know. I don't know how to read the tea leaves on this one. I don't know if Justice Roberts will uh, decide to to punt and say, we'll do that a little later uh, so that we're not interfering in an election or say, no, 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 this absolutely must be decided now because otherwise we're, um, you know, we're we're holding everything at, at kind of at, at bay because of uh, our decision. So I don't know. I, I tend to think it's it's probably more like he doesn't want to be involved at all. But we'll see what happens. And I want to get the opinion of a legal analyst and attorney, Daniel Street. He's the author at uh, Daniel Street's Fake News Exposed. It's a substack that he writes. You can get it at danielstreet.com. And uh, Daniel, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. You, you bet. So uh, first, let's talk a little bit about this um, this Supreme Court uh, picking this up. Was this something that surprised you? Did you think they were going to do it? Did you think they had no way of kind of uh, of punting and not taking the case? Well, it, there's there's really two issues with President Trump at the Supreme Court right now. One is the uh, Colorado disqualification issue that was argued last week. Yep. And then today is the uh, the application for a stay that President Trump filed in the in the uh, uh, presidential immunity slash uh, double jeopardy impeachment clause case. And uh, right. the the fact that the Supreme Court took the Colorado case was was not a surprise. What was a surprise is they granted his writ 48 hours, which uh, 
I've never seen the court act that fast. Um, the jury's still out, so to speak, on what the Supreme Court's going to do ultimately with that. But the, the you know the argument was pretty clear that the court was not impressed with uh, with the disqualification arguments. And, and of course, the jury's out on what the court's going to do with the stay that was applied for today. Right, and and that's really what I want to dig into uh, with with this stay. Do you think? Uh, and and help us work through some of the um, you know what you know we could war game this a little bit. If if the court picks it up, do you think they actually have oral arguments anytime soon? No, um, actually, what President Trump's legal team did today was only ask the Supreme Court of the United States to stay the issuance of the Court of Appeals mandate. So, what happens in the federal system? Whenever a court of appeal renders an opinion, they render an order to the lower court that says, this is what you have to do. And that is called a mandate. It's covered by Federal Rule of Appellate Procedure 41. And the D.C. Circuit, and I would be delighted to elaborate on this, but the D.C. Circuit deviated from the rule and gave President Trump a very, very limited time to ask for a stay. And so all he has done, all his legal team has done as of this moment, is file for an emergency stay with the United States Supreme Court. So he's only asked the court to the Supreme Court to stop the issuance of the mandate. And this obviously has to be decided by the court. Do you think the court makes a decision quickly? Yes. Yeah, they'll they'll decide that real quick. So the the purpose just to to explain for the audience what all this means is mm-hmm. the the DC circuit in my opinion, wants to get this case back on track so it can be argued, I mean, so it can be tried before trial. Now, my personal opinion is, is that's to allow the, the special counsel and the Biden administration to interfere in the election with this prosecution. Right. Um, the, the mandate has to issue for that to happen because everything's been stopped at the district court. Case is off the docket. It's not set for trial anymore. And they can't do anything in district court to push the case forward until that mandate issues. So the Court of Appeal, when they rejected President Trump's immunity defense, they rejected his double jeopardy impeachment clause defense, they ordered that the mandate would issue basically immediately. They only gave him six days to apply to the Supreme Court. So President Trump's team filed with the Supreme Court, and what they're actually asking the Supreme Court to do is to grant the stay, stop the mandate from issuing, and they, they put in their application to the Supreme Court for the state that they want to go back to the Court of Appeal and ask for what is called en banc rehearing, which is to get the entire D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal to consider what the panel, the three-judge panel, considered. And should that happen, what's the uh, next step? Well, I, I can tell you, let, let, me, let me put my... Uh, you know, look into my crystal ball. I'm going to tell you the D.C. Circuit, if, if President Trump gets on bond rehearing, now the whole court has to decide whether or not they want to hear the case on bond. If the if the D.C. Circuit votes for on bond rehearing, then uh, they're they're going to deny the relief requested by President Trump. In other words, they're going to wind up either affirming or just reaffirming the the three judge panel. In my opinion, that's a very liberal court. It's uh, right. in fact, in quite a few of the judges are activists, in my opinion, they're not going to let presidential immunity or any other kind of doctrine uh, stand in the way of what the DOJ is trying to do. 
That's what I think. So ultimately, this case is going to wind up at the Supreme Court. So should that happen, <clears throat> that would mean uh, a trial before before the election, right? Well, Back that's on another the really good question. You know, I, I don't know that they could get that case to trial before the election as it stands right now because, um, you know, even e- even if the Supreme Court denies President Trump's request for a stay and the mandate issues, the the trial court in D.C. has to put the case back on the docket, but they also have to contend with the Florida case, the, the Florida documents case, which is another federal court case um, that's in the way, so to speak. That was the first filed suit. I mean, first filed indictment, as a matter of fact. So um, it's going to be a challenge, but I can assure you that the district court in D.C., that judge is going to move with all dispatch to try to get that case to a jury, uh, you know, before the election. So they could probably get it done, but it's going to be a pretty tight time frame even now. All right. And uh, Daniel Street, uh, with respect to the Tony Bobulinski testimony uh, that's uh, forthcoming. Uh, we've heard a lot from him over the last year or two. Um, he, he seems to reiterate everything he, he says. He's expected to um, kind of expound on how the Biden family was selling access to um, adversaries that are, you know, American adversaries. Uh, how do you think this uh, plays out now in a legislative capacity? What's the outcome of this that that we already have? I don't think we're going to hear anything we haven't heard. Do you think this adds anything from a political perspective? Well, certainly it's, it's harmful to to President Biden. It's harmful to his uh, his reelection campaign. The, the real question is, will he be removed from office over it? Now, uh, let me say it, we, we saw two impeachments of President Trump during his administration. Both of them were bogus and illegitimate, in my opinion. Um, We have infinitely more evidence of impeachable offenses of high crimes and misdemeanors directed at President Biden and his family members. You know, a lot of it's his cahoots, if you will, or in conjunction with family members. Um, But I don't believe he's going to be impeached. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they have the votes to pull it off. Daniel Street, we'll leave it right there. Thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Folks, check out his website um, and follow his work on Substack. Daniel Street, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, we're coming back. Your calls and more don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? 
That's but right. you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America. So check this out. Uh, there was a press conference following the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. And uh, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson gave some comments both about Biden and how he's being disingenuous and he's lying about the type of authority that he has to shut the border. We all know he has that authority and he's just not doing it as well as what is going on with the um, with uh, the uh, Mayorkas impeachment. Uh, let's listen to this first clip from Mike Johnson. Check it out. When it comes to the border, the president has suggested over and over for the last couple of weeks that, gosh, golly, I wish Congress could act and give me some authority to do something. He knows that's not true. He knows it. His staff knows it. Chuck Schumer knows it. Everybody in this building knows the president has has extensive statutory authority right now to take executive action, and he will not do it. Now, that's again, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, saying that Biden's a fake phony fraud. He's a liar. He's a fugazi. But he doesn't stop there. He continues and he um, he goes into more on Mayorkas. I respect everybody's view on it. I understand um, the heavy weight that impeachment is, as I've said many times, and you all have heard me say, next to the declaration of war, I believe impeachment is probably the heaviest authority that the House has given in the Constitution. We, we carry that weight very carefully. What I will say about this on the Mayorkas impeachment is that the Homeland Security Committee did an extraordinary job, a very deliberate job, as you know, over a long period of time in five different phases, investigating the various uh, things that, that uh, Secretary Mayorkas has been charged with. And, and ultimately, when you talk about the breach of public trust, when you talk about a secretary who has um, openly lied before the Congress, right? He's, he stood in front of us, and, and me personally, with, after taking an oath and said things that he knows are not true, when he has engaged in a complete dereliction of duty, and moreover, he has willfully willfully defied existing federal statutes and laws and things that are incumbent upon him, his duty under the, under the, the laws of the country. He refuses to enforce. There is no, there is no other measure for Congress uh, to take but this one. It's an extreme measure. Uh, we do not take it lightly, and I respect the conscience of everyone and how they vote. But I will tell you, I am convinced that this individual, I, I'm, not, I'm not the greatest historian and scholar, but I am a student of history. And I'll tell you, in my review and my understanding and, and everything I've known and read and studied over the years, I don't believe there's ever been a cabinet secretary who, who was so blatantly, openly, willfully, and without remorse did exactly the opposite of what the federal law requires them to do. Uh, it's an extreme measure, but extreme uh, times call for extreme measures. Again, that's Speaker Mike Johnson on the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, the first cabinet secretary to be impeached in uh, nearly two uh, decades, I mean, two centuries, uh, 150 years to be precise. House Republicans passing this impeachment uh, resolution targeting Mayorkas, uh, sending the matter to the Senate where it will almost certainly fail because that's what happens there, right? When was the last time the Senate ever did anything good? Exactly. So that's where we are with that. Vote again was 213 to 214 uh, with the Republicans gaining the um, the votes uh, of those that didn't vote for it last week. And uh, good. Good on them. <clears throat> Let's see. Well, actually, no, there was still three no's. Uh, we had the same three, actually. 
McClintock, Buck, and Gallagher, as I'm looking at this here, similar to last week. So they didn't uh, change their vote, but luckily uh, there were some people in town that were out of town last time where this didn't work out. So that's where we are with Mayorkas. Now, the first article impeachment asserts that Mayorkas willfully and systemically refused to comply with immigration laws, failed to control the border to the detriment of national security, and compromised uh, public safety by violating the rule of law and separation of powers in the Constitution to manifest injury of the United States people. The second article declares that Mayorkas breached the public trust by knowing and making false statements to Congress and the American people and avoiding lawful oversight in order to obscure the devastating consequences of his willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law and carry out his statutory duties. He's also breached the public trust by willfully refusing to carry out his statutory duty to control the border and guard against illegal entry, notwithstanding the calamitous consequences of his abdication of that duty. There is uh, likely no chance of a conviction in the Senate. However, the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments, according to the resolution. Uh, when sitting for that purpose, they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. And that's uh, according to the U.S. Constitution. So that's where this stands. And again, that was reading from the text of the actual resolution as it was issued today and voted on in the House. So Mayorkas is out. Is this a warning shot across the bow or is there, you know, is it nothing, right? Do people just say, ah, forget about it, we don't care? I don't know. I'm really curious to see your thoughts on it. We're going to open up those phone lines, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Port St. Lucie, Florida, and check in with Ralph listening on WS. WPSL, excuse me. Ralph, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yes, good evening. Enjoy your show. Um, Thank you. Interesting topic um, Topic uh, you, you're talking about tonight. I, I, I 110% agree with this impeachment of this uh, Secretary Mayorkas. But the question that comes to my mind, and I'm sure to, to the minds of, of millions of other Americans, is where did his orders come from? They came right. down from Mr. <laughs> Biden. Now, he's the one that's got to go. Uh, now, of course, I understand the topic. I've talked to, you know, different uh, the radio hosts before on this topic of, of how has Biden gotten away with what he has gotten away with and not been impeached when Donald Trump sneezes and, and they bring impeachment. <laughs> right. um, it, it, it's, it's totally ridiculous, Rich. I, I just, I've never, I'm, I'm 74 years old and I've never seen anything like this in my life. Well, you know, that brings comfort to me because I'm 45 and I thought I was going nuts thinking I'd never seen anything like this. And when, when you see multiple uh, generations seeing the same thing, it just tells me that we've never seen this before. This is kind of crazy the way it's happening. It's like the, the Democrats have gone wild. And I, I agree with you. Um, it, it's, it's symbolic in many ways. I'm glad it happened. I don't know that it, it does anything, but maybe it does, right? I think, you know, things like this, they force the hand of the media. And, you know, things are interesting in our country. 
we we are i i don't pay a lot of attention to sports Ralph. um some people do i don't i never have I, this has always been my thing like i could watch c-span for hours on end i'm weird that way however I realize there's a lot of people that know every team that was going to the Super Bowl and the stats of a lot of those players. And we're consumed like people were consumed during the, the fall of Rome with going to the Coliseum to see lions and tigers rip people to shreds. And we, our our fascination with so much of popular culture, and I'm not faulting people who like sports. I, I like music, you know, and I, I like things like that. So I also like mindless things that have no real value to me other than entertainment. And, and that's fine. But I think we have so much of a preoccupation with the latest TikTok trend or the latest this or the latest that, that we, we just, we kind of become numb to crook A or crook B. And, and people tend to think, you know what, it, 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 apathy sets in. And because they're apathetic, they're like, ah, you know, it doesn't make a difference. I, I, I can't change anything here. And I think that's part of the, the problem that we have is that we have so many apathetic voters. Uh, we have people that d- don't care to know their history, people that don't care to know, you know, how, how things ought to be running. There's a, a lack of civic uh, engagement. There's a lack of, of civic uh, understanding. And when we have all of that put together, it puts us in this place where maybe somebody looks at this and says, hey, they impeached this guy for what? What he do? Wow. And, and maybe it starts to, you know, create an awareness because, again, I believe this kind of forces the hand of the media to cover this story, however they're going to cover it, whether it's a softball type of thing or not. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a headline somewhere that says, you know, Trump forces Republicans to impeach Mayorkas to continue to blame Biden for the border. You know, <laughs> some sort of a crazy headline like that. However, I think ultimately people are going to open their eyes. And, and honestly, the people that I see opening their eyes the most, at least on social media, when I'm scrolling through there mindlessly, are, are black men. They're just out there and every day they're saying things like, you know what, Th- these are jobs that, that we could have, uh, you know, people in, 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 in our neighborhood. And they're not. They're going to people that just got here that didn't wait their time in line, that cut the line, cut the process and are, are just here. And I think there's a resentment that's building up, and you see it on the streets of New York City when it comes to different services uh, that people in need might be able to receive. They're thinking, man, I've been, I've been a New Yorker my whole life, and I'm getting beat out by these people that just got here. And again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not casting any aspersions on, on people that are arriving in the country seeking asylum. I'm not. Uh, I think they shouldn't come. But I'm not mad at them, per se, because they were given a red carpet invitation by Joe El Baboso Biden. So I think ultimately uh, we have him to blame. And I think your, your logic is correct. Where did he get his orders? He got them from Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs to answer for the same thing that Alejandro Mayorkas has answered for today. And he should also face an impeachment, in my humble opinion. Ralph, big shout out to you and everybody listening in Port St. Lucie, Florida, WPSL. Folks, the rest of your calls and more coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion on Alejandro Mayorkas being impeached, uh, the first cabinet secretary to be impeached in 150 years. And I think that's um, that's uh, funny. It's funny to me. Anyway, I want to get into a couple of um, the other things that I want to talk about tonight. My computer is acting up. I think I have a deep state actor inside my computer. But as I do that, I want to uh, take a look at some of the audio clips that we we have lined up today, because some of them, uh, in my opinion, are very telling. Like, for example, there is this um, the media, right? In apart from what's going on with Mayorkas, apart from what's going on with the the border, you've got. The media trying to defend Biden after the special counsel. Again, this is a special counsel appointed by him. Trashed his poor memory, saying that he couldn't remember that that his son died and he couldn't remember what was going on. Those are pretty strong allegations. It's not like, oh, uh, you know, I interviewed somebody and they, they, they couldn't recall. What the special counsel said was that he had his memory didn't work right, that he couldn't remember that his, his own son was 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 dead. That's a huge deal, right? That's something that, you know, again, I, I don't know if I find the right words to explain this stuff when I explain it, but all I could say is if you've been through stuff like I have, and I know so many have, this isn't unique to me, having a loved one that gets Alzheimer's or dementia. But I remember staring at my dad on many occasions, you know, saying, dad, you're right, what's going on? And, and he would say, you know, get out of my house, get out of my house. And and, and and there were times where he was arguing with me and calling me to help him. And he was like, wait till my son Richard gets here. <laughs> and it was just funny to me. And I was like, I am your son. And and he was like, oh, you can't even hold a candle to my son. And then he would insult me. It was the funniest thing. But um, and, and they do make for fun memories, but they were frustrating in the moment. And and my point is, this is a painful thing to watch. Somebody that was, you know, once a very strong, very with it uh, man. And, and I just think we're watching that happen on the, the world stage in the White House with Joe El Baboso Biden. And, and I can't help but think that this is wrong. Like those that are allowing this to happen, they're wrong. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to participate in, in a system or a scenario where we think it's okay to allow an old person to, to suffer like that. It's okay to abuse this old man so that he can be president and, you know, act on the whims of those that are he's able that are able to convince him or that he's able to understand. Right. Because, you know, I, I know in my dad's situation, there were only like three people that he trusted. Everybody else, you know, whether it was by their face or their voice, he didn't know any of our names most of the time. He just knew these were nice people. There were times I'd come and he'd smile and be nice to me. And I go, oh, hey, you remember me today? And he'd go, yeah, you're the guy that works here. <laughs> and I said, the guy that works here. So all I could say is this is a, um, a very tough scenario for a lot of people. And it's unfortunate that we, um, we, we see it happening in real time. And listen, I remember watching this as a kid uh, as Reagan began to deteriorate. I remember seeing that. Uh, and he would joke about it and go, yeah, 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 but, I, but I forget. And it was, you know, he was still with it enough to, to talk about it. But ultimately uh, got Alzheimer's and, and eventually lost his life. And it went that way for him as well. And again, another 
great, great, great president. So when we come back, I want you to hear some clips. There's a little montage uh, that uh, we have of the media defending Biden after uh, getting beat up by the special counsel over his memory. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Breaking news out of the DOJ. Special Counsel Robert Hur has released his report on President Biden and his handling of classified documents, concluding the president will not face criminal charges, neither now or in the future. There is a history of presidents taking home classified material. Whether or not President Biden was in office or out of office, there are not enough facts here to support a prosecution. It is not the same legally what Biden did compared to what Trump did. They're not even in the same universe. There are important differences between the Trump investigation and this one. Distinguishing the Biden case from the much more egregious Trump case. These two cases are very, very different. This is not the same as what Donald Trump is accused of doing. Mr. Biden conducted himself admirably, I think. The president does take matters of classified documents uh, very, very seriously. This was a well-intentioned person. He was busy during that long-standing, ongoing international crisis. I'm reading directly from our top lines. He said President Biden portrayed himself as an elderly man with a poor memory. Special prosecutor could have written the same report without using these words. Elderly man with a poor memory. What is the word elderly doing there? He's someone who often has gone down verbal cul-de-sacs and, and, and meandered into another story. That's part of who he is. That's his brand for the past 50 years. The swagger does kind of combat the age. The use of adjectives and adverbs that are not the province <laughs> of the Department of Justice. He's got quick, fast, snappy, defensive replies. And mm-hmm. poor memory. What is the test of that? A moment after defending his memory, the president mistakenly referred to the president of Egypt as the president of Mexico. He did later get it right. Who among us hasn't screwed up those two countries? (laughs) Who among us hasn't confused Egypt and Mexico? Shoot, I do that every day. You know, it's funny to watch this. It's comical. All I could think of, could you imagine, right? People say that, that, uh, that I'm favorable to Trump and others, but come on. Have you ever seen anything like this? Imagine if they were doing the media got together to collectively cover for Trump like that. No, 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 because I mean, come on. Even even talk radio doesn't do that for Trump. There's a bunch of talk radio out there that's tough on Trump. Man, let me tell you, Biden's got it good, better than anybody I've seen have it in a long time. Folks, we're coming right back with our number two. Stick around. We're going to continue our discussions on all the hot stuff that's going on today, as well as... Well, you're going to have to stay tuned to find out. I am Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday night. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And um, Alejandro Mayorkas was impeached today for his failure to do his job to protect our country, to secure our border, to allow the cartels to just do what they want to do and run amok inside of our country, sending whoever they want, sending whatever they want. And it brings um, attention to other things that have happened, right, in the world. There's a, a plenty of things that have happened, right? Uh, we got cartels that are now, um, you know, getting involved in just everything. Um, I'm reading here. Mexican cartel reportedly floods Montana with fentanyl and meth and doing it by targeting Native Americans. How about that? Uh, We've got the cartels kind of glamorized where there's a Netflix special now about Griselda Blanco. And the 1980s film Scarface, this was also about Griselda Blanco, who was a Colombian cartel person who uh, ran Miami. And uh, just fascinating, fascinating to see how many shows there are. There's a show called Queen Pins that's about her. There's another one, The Real Griselda, that's by her son, Michael, who uh, has a different show called Cartel Crew. I mean, it's just they're, they're, the cartel lifestyle has been glamorized all over, and, and they continue to abound with what they're doing. Uh, not the least of which was a story that I saw in USA Today just recently where the cartel stormed a television station in Ecuador. Armed men just blasted in and during a broadcast. And I thought to myself, my goodness, you know, being in radio, that's always a thing that you keep in the back of your mind, especially on a day like today. It's World Radio Day, by the way. We'll talk about that later and the significance of World Radio Day. But this uh, is, is a very interesting time. And I want to bring in somebody that I know understands this stuff really, really well. He's been on the program before. And, uh, and I'm glad he's made the time to stay up late and come back with us. Derek Maltz, he's former uh, director of DEA Special Operations and, and his website, border911.com. Derek Maltz, welcome back. Rich, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I know that you're out there um, beating the drum for stuff that you've been working on for a lifetime. And um, First, let me get your reaction to what you've seen happen today on Capitol Hill, the impeachment of uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Well, I testified at one of the hearings about the amazing, overwhelming fentanyl poisoning crisis in America, where we're losing about 9,000 Americans a month from drugs. And it was disgusting to me that he would lie to the American public and actually tell the public that they have operational control of the border. All you have to do is watch Mm -hmm. the videos, Rich, and you can see between the trains, between people running into the country, just lining up to get in here. But what we don't see on those videos is all the gotaways, the two million almost gotaways that are in this country, the unknown people that are here. We call them ghost criminals. 
as the police commissioner in New York said, I believe it was today or yesterday, with these Venezuelan gangs that are all over New York, the ghost mm-hmm. criminals. Nobody knows who they are, Rich. It's crazy. And crazy, yeah. Let me tell you, I was in Medellin, Colombia, uh, probably about a month ago, and it, it was interesting. And I, talking to the cab drivers and learning about the, the area, they were telling me the most dangerous people you can find are the ones that come from Venezuela because they, they've been starving for a long time and they've been under communist rule. So lawlessness kind of abounds. There's a lot of good people there. But uh, lamentably, there's also a lot of bad hombres, as Trump would say. And it seems like they're making their way to the city, Derek Maltz. Absolutely. That's why we're seeing the increase in these, you know, Venezuelan experienced gang members that are running around grabbing pocketbooks, grabbing cell phones, dragging the 52-year-old lady in New York City on the ground from the uh, moped. You know, yeah, uh, they, they used to this extortions, kidnappings, robberies, drug trafficking. They grew up, like you said, very organized in Venezuela. They've been doing it for a long time. Now they're coming here because they're exploiting the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities. And the sad part, Rich, is that they know if they get caught, they'll get out because there's no punishment. There's no accountability in America. We're losing the rule of law. I agree with you 100 percent, Derek Maltz. It seems like we're we're losing our grasp on things. Uh, fentanyl doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse uh, with uh, now uh, more inland states like Montana being uh, targeted for for, you know, more and more drug trafficking. I, I don't know where this ends, but you have a better purview than me. What do you think the, the end game here or is there an end game? Is it just total and complete uh, infiltration of our society with fentanyl? Well, number one, it's worse than just fentanyl because, remember, these chemicals are coming out of labs in China. Now the nitazine family, the isonitazine, metonitazine, protonitazine, these are more powerful synthetic opioids. Of course, you have the xylazine, the horse tranquilizer that's rotten people in the streets of America. Every state is impacted by xylazine. This is coming out of Chinese labs. And on top of that, Rich, we have China, nationals from China, coming in, you know, military-age men at record levels, coming into our country and setting up marijuana grow operations that no one's connecting these dots. But to answer your question, you have to shut down the cartel's ability to produce the poison in these labs. The only way to do that now is using U.S. assets, military, you know, authorities to use drones, hopefully work with the Mexican government, but they don't seem too interested in stopping the massive poisonings of our kids. And we can't rely on soft on crime and corrupt leaders in Mexico to save our future generation. So unless we get tough on the cartels and unless we hold people accountable, then this is never going to end. And, you know, Richard, just to bring up something, I don't know if you're aware of of this, but the the, uh, president of El Salvador is putting like together this unbelievable, you know, tough on crime deterrent punishment by putting these MS-13 savages in cells, like 100 in, in one cell. And that's why a lot of you know, MS-13 is fleeing El Salvador, because they don't want to go to jail. They come to America, and they run around the streets of New York or in Chicago, wherever, L.A., they're not going to be punished. So th- right. this is the big thing that we're learning about with this president. And he was just reelected, by the way. Yeah, He's just reelected. Naib you know, Bukele. Yeah, Bukele. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, people say, <laughs> I saw people on the left saying, oh, uh, they, uh, El Salvador has elected a new dictator. Yet you speak to people from El Salvador and they think this guy's the second coming. They're like, he's cleaned it up. He's a There's god. no more crime. He's a god he's great. Now. Yeah, I, I agree. 100%. People love this guy. I think that's it's kind of what we need here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, look, the American people, do you want evil or do you want good? That's what you're voting for in November. It's good versus evil. Like, it's nothing else. So forget about if you're a Republican or Democrat. Do you want your kids to grow up in this country? Do you want to be able to go and afford food? Do you want to be safe and secure? That's what you're voting for in October. I'm November. I'm sorry. It's really sad to see, like, what's going on in the city of New York. I was just in there last week, and I can't believe what's happening in my home city. It's, like, disgusting. Yeah. And then really the mayor, he comes out saying, you know, he made a statement again today. This is a national problem. We need a national solution. Okay, but then why do you have these sanctuary cities and broadcast to the world? They can come to New York. They can get free housing. They can get their, you know, their ATM cards, whatever they're called, the prepaid cards. And we're paying for it as taxpayers. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really overwhelming. Folks, we're on with Derek Maltz, former director of DEA Special Operations. Uh, stick with us. We're coming right back to discuss what's going on with Mexican cartels, the violence in Ecuador, what's happening in New York City, and so much more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. For Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. Do you believe that Secretary Mayorkas is doing enough to fight the scourge of fentanyl? Not at all, no. Why not? I don't, I, he, he needs to lock down that border. Everyone keeps saying, give them more money. Those poor Border Patrol agents are now the welcoming committee. They are ordered to be the welcoming committee. They don't want to be the welcoming committee. They're told to do that by Mayorkas, by this administration, just like the young lady next to you had said. It's either Mayorkas or the Biden administration. Somebody is telling the poor Border Patrol to not do their job. No matter how much money you give them, they're still not going to be allowed to do that. They're turning border agents into travel agents as they come across the border and they say, look, I want to go to New York. I want to go to San Francisco. I want to go here and I want to go there. This is an utter shame. Of course, that is uh, the voice you were listening to of Josephine Dunn. She's the mom of a child who uh, was lost to a fentanyl poisoning uh, overdose situation. And um, the uh, representative doing the questioning was Andrew Garbarino from New York. Our guest, Derek Maltz, former uh, director of special operations at the DEA. And Derek Maltz, tell us um, your thoughts uh, with Mayorkas out, do, do you think this, this I guess, falls on the next uh, undersecretary, under him, deputy, um, 
what what happens? Do we see any improvement, uh, or is this all for show? Well, number one, it has to get passed through the Senate, which will never happen, number one. Number two, the directive is coming from the top. Joe Biden said he wants, you know, open border policies, right? That's what he said before he was elected. And on day one, he reversed all of Trump's policies that were working very well. We had a record low amount of, you know, encounters at the border. We had great policies implemented by President Trump regarding stay in Mexico. You want to file an asylum claim? Stay in Mexico. If you get into America and you're caught illegally, you're going to be locked up and you're going to be held until your claim is reviewed by immigration judge. That caused people to stay home. They didn't come. Once this president got in, he opened up the border. He offered to the world freebies. You come in, you have babies, we give you money, you get health care, you go to school, you displace American kids. So this is a recipe for disaster. This is what's been going on. President Biden's legacy right now is over 300,000 dead Americans from drugs, mostly from fentanyl, coming right across the border from dirty, filthy labs in Mexico. And the Chinese have partnered up with the Mexican cartels. They're doing all the money laundering in America right now. They're still, you know, sending mass amounts of chemicals from their, you know, from their labs in China. And we're not even talking about this. The kids aren't getting educated in schools. The Department of Education is failing. GDC is a total disaster. We can't even tell America how many fentanyl poisonings there are. We don't even have accurate and timely stats. I work with thousands of families around America. They're disgusted at the lack of attention. That's why they're out there working every day with nonprofits, setting up education at schools, going on TV, going to Congress. It's really sad. They're rallying. They're uniting as best they can, but they're all trying to save other Americans. They can't bring back their kids, but they want to help others. And the government isn't doing the job. I agree with you, Derek Maltz. And and again, uh, do you think uh, my thinking is this? If you've been impeached, you're now somewhat ineffective politically. So you step aside. Do you think Mayorka steps aside and Biden thinks this guy's too hot right now? Let's get him out of the picture. Or do they double down and say, screw you, he's staying? I don't think he'll go anywhere. He's very arrogant, according to my friends and my sources that work closely with him. And I just don't think it will happen. I think it's like, you know, just just a you know a statement that was made and spent a lot of hours, a lot of time. Uh, but obviously the guy is evil because he's lying to the public. When you're a public servant, you have to his priority is keeping Americans safe. And the opposite has happened. We have record amounts of fentanyl deaths in America. We have historic human trafficking and sex trafficking, these little kids. We have record levels of migrants dying. They lie and say this is a more humane way. Meanwhile, these little girls are taking birth control on the journey because they know they're going to get raped multiple times. It's outrageous. It's disgusting. And I don't know how anybody can accept it. Anybody that voted for this, that can accept it, they don't even, they're not informed. They're misinformed, uninformed. It's absolutely mind boggling to think about anyone would accept this, what's going on at the border. All Americans are going to pay the price for many years. Now, Derek Maltz, I know that you're out there uh, doing a lot of work with a lot of different organizations trying to make a difference in what's going on in the world uh, when it comes to, to these important issues. 
if people want to find out more about the work that you're doing, where do they go? How do they find you? Well, I'm part of a very good team of great American patriots called Border 911. Tom Holman, former ICE director, Rodney uh, Scott, former Border Patrol chief, Mark Morgan, former CBP director, Sarah Carter from Fox News, Jason Jones from Newsmax, and myself. We have an event at Mar-a-Lago on April 4th. And part of our mission is to kind of help educate nice. and get facts to the public. So this is what we're doing, border911.com. We could use some support. Uh, we're helping to really spread factual information to the public. So when they go and vote in November, they vote for good, not evil. And so, you know, I work with the families, all these nonprofits, Lost Voices of Fentanyl, and other organizations around the country that are desperately seeking help to spread awareness and save lives. But right now we're getting to a breaking point because our country is actually in the worst shape it's been in maybe my lifetime as far as dangerous you know, threats to our national security. The folks are already here from all these different countries that hate us. They paid lots of money, $35,000, dollars $50,000, so the cartels can get them over the border. And now they're just operating in this country. We don't even know who they are where they are, who sent them, what they're going to do. And I'm not an alarmist. I'm talking factually here. This is common sense to anybody that's been involved in this business. So America needs to wake up. Amen to that. And if people want to follow you online, where do they go? How do they get you? Well, Derek Maltz underscore senior on Twitter. I post a lot of stuff on Twitter. I have a Facebook national security, public safety, private group. Uh, that I have, you know, pretty, pretty good following. Uh, so again, border911.com is my main uh, network right now. We'll be working hard over the next year or longer to kind of educate the public on what's going on here. Sounds great. Uh, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, Derek Malt. I wish you much success with your Border 911 event at Mar-a-Lago and all the work that you're doing. And uh, anytime you uh, want to get the word out, you're welcome here, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it, Richard. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, folks, we continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Also going to talk about what's going on in America with respect to faith, right? It seems like greed is taking over God in many ways. I want to talk about that and a lot more on how we win the culture wars with Jay Richards coming up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And Democrats have taken the former seat held by Republican George Santos. So that's no longer in um, Republican control, the uh, seat in um, the third congressional seat, is I believe the, the number. Anyway, uh, we continue with our conversation. And I want to talk a little bit about how Americans uh, that are reasonable, Americans uh, that have faith in this country and, and in what they believe, can actually win the culture wars. And we, we see so much of what's going on. The country clearly has Judeo-Christian roots, and, and 
those traditions are, are under attack, right? The, um, the idea that we should just accept people who identify as the opposite sex, uh, whether it's through an alias or through a lifestyle or whatever and what have you, or that gender should be a construct merely of one's imagination. It's not a real thing, right? Uh, this is a, a problematic idea and one that I think we have to fight back against. Otherwise, absolute truth as we know it won't exist, or at least that portion of it. And and relativism will, will run amok and take over, and our children will grow up in a new world, as many are already growing up in a new world where you know men are not men, women are not women, boys are not boys, girls are not girls, but more so what they identify as, what they feel like that day. And that obviously has its own set of problems along with it, and I want to talk about that and how we win these culture wars with Jay Richards. He's director of the uh, DeVos Center for Life and Religion and, and the Family at the Heritage Foundation. And he's with us now. Jay Richards, welcome. Thanks so much. Good to be with you, Rich. You bet. So let's talk uh, a little bit about this and, and your book uh, as yeah. well, uh, because I think it's important to fight the good fight. Tell us more. Absolutely. I mean, this, yeah, this book out actually today. So thanks for having me on, on, on Absolutely. launch day. You know, it's, it's the result of, I mean, I moved from Catholic University here in Washington, D.C., where I lived a few years ago to come to the Heritage Foundation, honestly, to fight gender ideology. This idea you, you just mentioned that, you know, kids might be born in the wrong bodies. And if you identify as a woman, even if you're really a man, that somehow makes you a, a woman. But this is the craziest idea that's ever been known to man, and it's going to destroy our civilization. So I, just, I honestly wanted to fight it. But I've been involved in, in politics and culture war battles for a long time. I've been involved in the pro-life movement. I've made spent years arguing against communism and socialism and for a market economy, uh, def- defending marriage. And they all sort of look the same. But this fight that we're in now against woke ideology and against gender ideology – Things are really different. That's what I discovered. What I discovered is that, you know, if you'd been involved in, say, the, the, the battle over marriage in 2015, you're looking around at the people that are on your side. They look kind of like the Heritage Foundation internship pool, you know, it's a bunch of social conservatives. If you're looking at the people that are fighting gender ideology in 2024, it includes a social conservatives. It includes ordinary parents of no particular political or religious uh, orientation. It includes atheist evolutionary biologists. It includes lesbian groups that don't want men in women's bathrooms. This is something entirely different and entirely new. And the argument that we make in the book um, is that there is a kind of a new coalition forming of people that are opposed to this woke ideology. And it looks different than the kind of left-right that they, we were used to during the Cold War, but that it's actually, I think, much more promising. But is, for people like me that are people of faith, it's also an opportunity for us uh, to make a case, to evangelize, to, to do apologetics to people that um, are otherwise strange bedfellows, people that we wouldn't have talked to several years ago. But I think that the crisis is so great now in our culture that it actually creates an opportunity. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm glad that you're so upbeat about this because there's days, you know, I've got two kids, two girls, 18 and 22. And I think, man, thank God I'm not raising little ones right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yes. I, I'm a divorced dad. And, you know, the idea of getting remarried and potentially having a, a, a another kid or even a, a stepchild that's young is a is a, a daunting idea for me to think, man, 
What parents have to go through now is nothing like what I went through. The, the world was a little bit more sane in, in that in that time. And, and uh, yeah, I could sit here on the radio with you and others and say we got to fight the good fight. Uh, but how do we fight this good fight, Jay Richards? What? Well, it, so it, it, the subtitle of the book is how an alliance of faith and reason can win the culture war. And as you mentioned, I mean, uh, the, the United States, first of all, obviously, we don't have a confessional state. It's not an officially Christian country. Uh, but the public culture, if you look at the sort of foundations of this country, the kind of broadly Judeo-Christian culture that had a particular moral consensus, even the founders who are not especially religious, believe there was a natural moral law that was knowable by reason. Those are all really, really good things. And I'm convinced that the, the problem is a kind of been a division between uh, reason and revelation, between faith and reason. And those two things are now coming back together. The reason is because if you look at the people that are arrayed, I mean, really focus on who is the coalition that's come together to fight gender ideology. What you find is that they're people, despite the, the diversity, that actually believe in public reason. We are willing to say, look, uh, no, sorry, we all know that there are males and females. Unlike the sort of fight of the 20th century, in which the left claimed to be based on reason, it claimed to be based on science, that's all been displaced by people that are just interested in power and are fundamentally irrational and anti-rational. So that there's a, people that, you know, I, I always use the example of my friend who's an atheist evolutionary biologist. All he knows he knows that biology is real. He knows that sex applies to human beings and mm -hmm. to plants and animals. And he's willing to risk his career in order to defend that truth. So that's someone who's politically on the left. I don't agree with him. He doesn't agree with me religiously. And yet we come together around this kind of fundamental truth. And I think that's actually an opportunity that we didn't have because, you know, we just didn't have something that was this much of a great crisis culturally to force us to actually come together in this way. It just Honestly, I don't think it happened until this ideology got so extreme here just in the last few years. Folks, we're on with Jay Richards, director of the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the William E. Simons Senior Research and the William E. Simons Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's also a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, and he's the author of the new book, fight the good fight you got to get a couple of copies of that one for yourself one to give away and when we come back i want to talk about reason because i feel like reason is dead right it's not uh, at least i feel like it it appears like it's dead or at least dying you would think that by just watching the news you'd say w where is the reason here it seems like there isn't a whole lot of it so we're, i want to talk about that with you as well and of course your calls 833-482-5337 8334 valdez this is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. And there's some audio that I've played in the past, but I want our guest to hear it as he's been engaging in the culture wars and taking on the uh, LGBTQ thrust to uh, indoctrinate children and redefine things as we know them. And there was a clip a while back, Jay Richards, of somebody making so many inflammatory statements that it was hard to keep up. And I want you to listen to this short clip. Y'all really want to try to say there aren't trans kids. Let me tell you what there aren't. There aren't cis kids. Okay, you telling your child, oh, you're a boy, you're a girl. This is a child. This is a free spirit that has not learned any of that bullshit until you force it on them. So cisness is the wound. Cisness is the delusion. Cisness is the lie. Cisness is the place of pain. Transness is the healing. Transness is the growth. Transness is the truth. Transness is what we actually are. We are fluid. We are 70% water. We are God. God is change. God is trans. We are trans. You are forcing your kids to be boys and girls. We're saying, be whatever you are, baby. Be free, be water, be light, be sky, be God, because guess what? That's what we actually are. What we actually are is trans, is change, is love. We're not the ones doing the forcing. And see God chiming just on time. So there you have it. This is a, um, a, an activist, uh, LGBTQ activist on TikTok. Uh, saying that God is trans and cisness is the wound, cisness is the disease. I see this as a a a manipulation of psychology, a manipulation of 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 his of his the way he views the world uh, and uh, of Christianity overall. And I just think it's crazy. But this is what people are seeing. And when kids are scrolling through TikTok, they hear that and they think they can be healed by becoming LGBTQ. Jay Richards, what say you? No, absolutely. I mean, that is crazy as that guy sounds. He's basically articulating the view of gender ideology. Gender, gender ideologues claim uh, that we're not male and female, that biology is not a real thing that we observe or discover, but rather we impose that on things. What we really are is the so-called internal sense of gender that they call a gender identity, which could be literally anything. There's no limiting principle, so you might you might have... Uh, sex assigned at birth in which you have been uh, this category of maleness has been imposed upon you, but you might really be a female if that's your gender identity, or you might be neither. You might be non-binary, or you might be two-spirit. And there's just an unlimited variety of these types of gender identities, because that's basically the move. So we're all really these subjective internal senses of gender disconnected from our bodies. That's what he's talking about. Cis is weird that cis is their term for someone whose gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth. So you see, we're in this weird kind of uh, funhouse of mirrors in which absolutely everything is contested and is overturned. That's how profoundly anti-rational this ideology is. Most people uh, don't actually quite realize that. They just think, okay, there's a few people who are very distressed about their sex bodies. And so we should be compassionate and help them. And if they say this boy says he's a girl, let's just pretend he's a girl. That's what people imagine this is about. That's not what this is about. They're having their compassion weaponized against them. What this is actually about is decentering and destabilizing the categories of reality. That's what queer theory literally is. To queer concepts or to queer categories is to just destabilize the categories by which we make sense of reality. That's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with 
uh, disagreements over, okay, what's the marginal income tax rate or something that mundane. We're, we're dealing with an ideology that wants to essentially bring a cultural wrecking ball to the present order and presumably uh, out of the ashes will come sort of great utopian vision. That's what we're dealing with. That's why uh, intellectuals are talking about things like cultural Marxism. This is a different and much more radical thing than I think a lot of people quite realize. And we're just kind of starting to realize that when we start hearing about teenage girls getting their best cut off, for instance. I'm with you, Jay Richards. I think this is uh, way bigger than anybody having um, their own freedom to choose things. And uh, the last point you made, uh, teenage girls, um, you know, removing their breasts, double mastectomies, uh, hormones, puberty blockers, etc. This is a, a really big problem. I've talked to a number of people on this program uh, who, who've, you know, regretted uh, this this process. Yeah. And it's a very scary proposition from from how I see it. I think it's it's I don't want to use the word crazy because I don't want to sound judgmental. I, I'm, I'm fearful that people end up in this place because of an emotional issue, a mental issue, whatever the issue is, and and therefore make it normal or normalize it so that more people um, can feel compassion towards it and be drawn to it. And I think that's what we see on a regular basis. And it's uh, it, it takes a degree of couth. Uh, I think, to to be able to refute this type of thing without coming across as uh, I disagree with it because I don't like it uh, or I disagree with yeah. it because I think it's not godly where people, I think, automatically dismiss you out of hand as a right-wing religious zealot and whatnot. But I think overall, just from a secular perspective, this is, this is dangerous to society. This is dangerous for people that want to procreate and be healthy. This is uh, just a danger to, to reason and logic and and life as we've known it, uh, or do you think I'm um, overreacting? No, not at all. I mean, the reality is reason's always been at stake in political debates. I mean, you could take the issue of climate change. I mean, the kind of sure. official claim is that we're, yeah, we're, we're going to destroy the planet and life as we know it. But if you actually compare the temperature rise that we actually observe with the predictive models, you notice that there's a huge gap between those things. So you can make a reasoned case that we're not going to destroy the planet. That's not what the evidence is. But nobody's, most people aren't familiar with the facts, right? You'd have to kind of study the details. The same thing in the pro-life issue. You could say, well, the facts of embryology, we, we know when life begins, we know when fertilization occurs, um, but people don't have direct experience of that. Every single human being that's ever lived has direct experience of male and female. It's one of the most stable categories that we all learn by the time we're five or six years old. That's what's now being contested. And that's what that just tells you how radical this is, that the, the prevailing ideology denies a deliverance of reason that absolutely everyone understands and knows. Folks, we're on with Jay Richards from the Heritage Foundation. We're discussing his brand new book, you got to get a copy of it, Fight the Good Fight. And uh, we'll continue that conversation straight ahead. You'll find out where to get a copy of the book and how you could follow Jay Richards and check out all the wonderful work he's doing. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. And we're on with Jay Richards from the Heritage Foundation. He's got a brand new book. Uh, you got to get this book, Fight the Good Fight. Uh, Jay Richards, let everybody know how they get a copy of this book. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Where you can get a book, um, Amazon.com, but you can also order it directly from the publisher at regnery.com. And uh, it's out just today. So uh, at the moment, it's available in hardcover, in Kindle, and also an audiobook. And if people want to check out the work that you're doing, how do they find you? How do they follow you? Check out uh, the Heritage Foundation website, actually. It's heritage.org. And if people want to follow me on X, formerly Twitter, I'm at Dr. J. Richards. So D-R and my name, J. Richards. Dr. J. Richards, been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for the work that you're doing, uh, fighting this good fight, literally and, um, and academically. I think it's important that, that we do that to protect, um, to protect reason, to protect the culture, and, uh, of course, to protect our children. You're a gentleman, a patriot, and a scholar, and I appreciate you staying up late. So great being with you. You bet. All right, folks, it's Open Phone America. It's coming up next, and our phone number, you, you know the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we're going to talk about everything we've discussed uh, this evening So whether it's uh, the fentanyl crisis that's taken over the United States, the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, of course, we also had some discussion on what's happening with the the culture wars here as our children are being uh, turned into genderless zombies, uh, at least if the left has their way. And, of course, uh, everything else that we've talked about with the breaking news that's been going on this evening. And I want to... um, invite people who have not called the show before, you know, first time callers, people who've, who've been like, Oh, I like the show, but I don't really call talk radio. And you know, this is for me, that's me, right? I've been listening to talk radio forever. And I think I've called twice in my whole life. I've called into a radio show. So I understand most people don't call. Uh, when I learned those statistics, getting into radio, you'd be surprised at actually how many people, I think it's something like 1% of your audience actually calls in. The rest of them are shy. So if you're the shy bunch, call in. I want to hear from you on these topics. I really do. And uh, if you're a first-time caller, we'll get you to the front of the line. If you disagree with me, we'll definitely get to the uh, front of the line. And, uh, of course, I'm looking forward to speaking with our regulars as well. 833-482-5337. Open Phone America. Coming up right now with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Valdez. 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Uh, happy to be here with you till 1 a.m. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a number of things are going on tonight. Of course, there was a... A car that crashed into a hospital emergency room in Austin, Texas. The story's uh, still developing. I think there's one dead as of now with uh, at least 11 or a dozen injured. And it's uh, an interesting thing. I mean, today's World Radio Day. Uh, It's also Fat Tuesday. It's Mardi Gras. And uh, we've got that story. We've got a couple of other stories that are out there. We have the... uh, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas being impeached today with a vote of 214 to 213 with the Republicans in the House carrying that uh, victory of an impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. Of course, he'd have to be removed by the Senate. Uh, My gut, I don't know why, tells me that he might just leave in disgrace. Um, The other part of my gut, I got a pretty big gut is saying that he's just going to, you know, hunker down and be like, ah, people forget, don't worry about it. So we'll see how that actually plays out. But I want to get your reactions to that and so much more. Uh, We're going to talk about a bunch of different things. We talked about the culture wars tonight, how uh, children across America are being taught that they they can be healed if they have any type of wound um, and that the, the healing comes by way of being transgender. So when we see this epidemic of growth uh, in, in, in this area of transgenderism, um, that's part of the reason why people are being um, taught from, from many directions, from many angles, not just public school, but all over the place. This is an idea that's really reinforced on so many levels. So that's uh, also happening. Uh, we also had some discussion on fentanyl and what's happening at the border as the country seems to be taking on more and more, including uh, Indian reservations now are being targeted with fentanyl sales, and they don't even have the um, the same rate of pay. And by that, I mean, uh, there's articles saying drug dealers are getting 20 times the going rate for the fentanyl they're selling when they sell it on a uh, reservation that Native Americans live on. Fascinating. So, it's like a twofer, right? It's like a double whammy. Very, very bad stuff going on. Plenty of of, of things to talk about tonight, uh, not the least of which are your opinions on these issues. And we've got calls from Montana, which is one of the states that are targeted where these uh, reservations are. Uh, we've got calls from Brooklyn, New York, Evergreen, Montana, Butte, Montana, Syracuse, New York, Roseburg, Oregon. Um, let's, let's go to Roseburg, Oregon and check in with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello. I was Hi. calling you concerning um, the immigrants. Sure. And a presidential proclamation that our Presidente signed on 12-11-23, number 10685. It's called... I'm not familiar with it. Okay, it's called the Suspension of Entry of Immigrants and Non-Immigrant Persons Enabling Corruption. Now, that sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? 
Yeah, tell us more. What's, what's the, the angle? Well, you get down to Section 4, Part C, and it says blah, blah, and it says that the person's entry would further important United States law enforcement objectives. And I'm just wondering exactly what that sentence means. Right. You know, I don't have it in front of me, but it it appears to me that this is yet one of many uh, executive actions that Biden has taken to further weaken what's happening at the border to give him uh, more control to allow more to happen. And we see this time and again, we see uh, it's it's kind of like the same um, hand and glove technique that we see Eric Adams using, where he complains out of one side of his mouth and praises Biden with the other. Ultimately, this is the goal of that group, this, this radical pro-immigration crowd within the Democrat Party that really desperately wants people from all over the world to come in, uh, you know, whenever they want and with no with no uh, preconditions, unlike so many people that are the, the children of immigrants or people that were born uh, outside of the continental U.S. And they had to wait in line. They had to do the right thing. They had to do all sorts of things. Yet today, that's not an option anymore. And and sadly, this is uh, where we are. So, Elizabeth, I, I think I agree with you that uh, El Presidente signed a very, very uh, uh, stupid proclamation here. And this type of executive action is, is really the problem that we're facing. While people are trying to figure out how to live their lives and pay their bills, uh, you've got others that are just leveraging uh, whatever they've got to make things uh, more complicated. And ultimately, I don't think we withstand this. This this is something that we right now we could turn a blind eye. Maybe we, we you know, change the way we do things a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, it'll be unsustainable and we won't be able to change the way we do things. We'll have to address it because it'll actually affect each and every uh, one of us. And that, to me, is a very scary proposition. Elizabeth, thank you for the call from KQEN, Roseburg, Oregon. Big shout out to everybody in Roseburg, Oregon. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Of course, uh, you're free to call the show at 833-4-VALDEZ. You're also free to chime in on social media. I will be reviewing those during the break or tomorrow or, you know, as soon as I could see them. Uh, we're going to try to get to those. And um, feel free to drop a comment or just, like I said, if you're listening live, you can call the show. But, folks, we're coming right back. It's me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
And I just want to be really clear, it's not just us. There was also a bipartisan voices and the legal, illegal experts who have said it was wrong, flatly wrong, right? It was, it was gratuitous. It was inappropriate how that was characterized in, in, in uh, the special counsel's report. Of course, that is Karine Jean-Pierre, KJP, the White House press secretary, uh, saying it was very gratuitous. It was uh, very um, not cool uh, for the special counsel to characterize Biden as an elderly old man with memory issues. And she took exception to that. Of course, um, that doesn't really explain a lot of things. But I want to uh, continue on our conversation about fentanyl, uh, things happening in Montana on the Indian reservations, as well as what's happening with the culture wars overall, the Ukraine and Israel funding bill, $95 million that went through uh, the uh, Senate today and is unsure if it's going to survive in the House, as well as uh, the, the culture wars we talked about on transgender ideology, et cetera. So let's, uh, let's continue with these calls here. Let's see. Where do we go? Let us go to Charles. Charles is calling us from Syracuse, New York, WGVA. Charles, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to quote the, uh, we kind of forget about the Bible. Uh, as far as transgender, it's uh, condemned as uh, uh, an abomination in the Bible. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, uh, along with... Uh, Abortion is also condemned in Deuteronomy or in Leviticus chapter twenty, verses one through five. So, if we, uh, I think our laws were originally based on the first five books of the Bible, and uh, that's and that's what they were. Uh, it was illegal <clears throat> abortion and all. Right. Well, I think you bring up a good point. Those first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch were uh, a big part of the law, right? The, the What's known as the law, the Jewish law, and the basis of, of you know, the, the Ten Commandments and embodied uh, the Ten Commandments. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And uh, if, if we all lived that way, I think we'd all be better, right? We'd be in a better place. I know I certainly would be better if I followed everything that my Bible taught me, and I wish I did. Uh, but uh, I know that uh, I'm a sinner saved by grace, like uh, St. Paul, right? Uh, and sadly, this is uh, where we are. We're, we're in a place where things that were once considered taboo or sinful are now being glorified as, as virtuous, right? It's uh, almost virtuous for people to say, you know, I dedicate my life to teaching small school children that drag queens should teach them in their story hour and that it's okay because love trumps hate and, you, 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 you know, you can accept whatever you want. You can feel however you want. If you feel like this, you're this. If you feel like that, you're that. And I don't know that that's ex- uh, a healthy way of looking at things, if it's the right way of looking at things, if it's a sustainable way of looking at things. But I know that's the way things are right now. And it's not the way I would like them to be, especially for, for you know, the, the future of America, to think that they can just, you know, say, oh, today I'm Rachel, no longer Richard. You know, that's just not going to be a thing. So, Charles, uh, good point. I appreciate it. Thank you for your call. Uh, let us continue. Let's see. Let's go to our buddy Frank. Frank is in Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. Frankie, baby, what's going on, my man? Oh, I want to just mention, do you, you hear me very well? Lo- yeah, loud and clear. First. Okay. Uh, 
I would think most of the trouble we've had in our country from World War One forward was due to Edison's patenting and reinventing the megaphone and electrify it, give it to a bullhorn. And, of course, Woodrow Wilson used that to rally the people on the streets all across America. And, uh, oh, gosh, it was uh, uh, very mesmerizing. And Hitler had to have that also in Germany to rally his, uh, his punk uh, brown shirts and to, uh, and take control of the, the streets and everything. It's, uh, uh, and, of course, Russia had to pick up on that uh, all the big leaders had to get into the electrical field. And then churches went into mega churches with megaphones and big speakers. It's it's a power hungry, greedy world. It really is. Uh, I just love it. Not having to go to any building that has amplifiers. I love uh, natural acoustics. Anyway. And what do you think yeah, about radio being that today's world radio day? Do you think radio uh, also amplifies these negative um, ideas? Well, it's a tool for it, but uh, I mean, when you have mega wattage and uh, megalomaniacs, it's on the, uh, what do you expect? Uh, <laughs> it works out good for me. I think I'm a little bit of both. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Big shout out to Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. And let us continue. Let us go to Ron. Ron's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Ron, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. I think the gender problem can be taken care of by getting rid of the doctors who do this and uh, take away their license and uh, do it for malpractice and put them in jail. Yeah, uh, I guess that would solve that. It would solve a lot of things if we were able to just arbitrarily get rid of people, kind of like China does when they don't like what they see. What would you base that on? Would you base it on the passage of a law and then saying if these doctors do that, they've now violated the law? Or would it just be like, hey, I'm going to kidnap these people? It's the idea in a, in a profession, a medical profession, you have to do no wrong. And they are doing wrong. Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, and, and uh, I agree that this is harming them. And I think this argument that they make that this is gender-affirming care is nothing more than um, euphemistic um, pseudoscience, quackery, if you will, designed to promote a particular political agenda disguised as the science. Uh, good point, Ron. I appreciate that call. Big shout-out to everybody in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Uh, let us continue with uh phil phil is in butte montana phil go right ahead you're on with rich valdez good evening sir i just wanted to make a, a little comment on the uh fentanyl problem on the native americans yes and i think a way to solve it for them is for them the native americans to arm themselves to the teeth and then hunt down every one of the dealers and the importers and anybody that's connected with it. And when they catch them, they just simply quietly disappear. No muss, no fuss, no trial, no police, no nothing. They just, they're not here anymore. The word would rapidly get out 
that Montana is a bad place to go to sell fentanyl. Well, you know, and I don't know the extent of of the law in in um, in on the reservation. So I don't know if they can literally just make people disappear like that under their law or not. Uh, but it sounds like it would be a remedy for for a problem like that or uh, a good way to get yourself locked up, um, you know, if it was outside of the reservation and you're violating laws. But uh, we'll look into to, to the extent of that, Phil. I agree with you, though. I understand where you're coming from. When when kids are dying and people are <clears throat> being harmed by something like this, uh, it's high time that people band together and, you know, say, hey, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're really going to stick to our guns on this. So uh, I think you bring up a good point, and I appreciate it. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls. A uh, big shout-out to Phil in Butte, Montana, KXTL. And uh, you guys are in the thick of that uh, in Montana, so I get your frustration. And um, we're going to get to the rest of our calls from West Virginia, our calls from uh, Brooklyn, New York, WFAS, and more. When we return, don't go anywhere. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation, our late night national town hall conversation. And I want to have a discussion on lots of things tonight, and we're going to get to those things in a moment. But I wanted to remind you that today's World Radio Day. And World Radio Day was a day uh, back in 2011 created by the United Nations. Now, this is not something... I don't typically celebrate the days that the United Nations has um, has announced. But I do every now and again um, make note of the things that are happening with the radio because the radio is one of my favorite uh, mediums. Uh, you know, I, I get to talk on TV every now and again. And I love TV. It's a very... Um, different medium than radio. You're not using theater of the mind when you're on television. What we are doing on radio is really trying to activate the brain to, uh, to help you, you know, to tell a story, to get you to understand something from a very different perspective where, you know, you're, you're forced to think, you know, you don't get to see anything and you have to kind of see it in your mind's eye. So I, I love that about radio because I feel like you, it's different. You also get to build a different type of relationship with the listener. Um, I know that when I'm on television, people, you know, will say things like, oh, interesting comments or whatever, um, or you suck, whatever the, the, the comment is. But they, they don't get to know me because you don't really get to pour a ton of personality into every, you know, five or six minute um, clip on 
on television. But when you're on radio for two or three hours, that is a different ballgame where people, you know, really, it's a different thing. You're able to keep people company when they're working throughout the nighttime, when they're, you know, uh, going back and forth to work during the evening hours and kind of, you know, like I always say, keeping you up to speed on what's going on in America at night. And it's a whole different thing. So when it comes to radio broadcasting, uh, I love it. I think it's a fantastic thing. It's different than podcasting. It's different than TV. It's different than a lot of things. And and uh, that's why I wanted to mention World Radio Day. And uh, again, I rarely talk about things started by the U.N., but this is one I say, good job. There's a National Radio Day and today's World Radio Day. So kudos to all of the broadcasters out there. Now, let us uh, continue our conversation tonight. Let's go to Tommy. He's in Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. Tommy, go right ahead. Uh, Mr. Valdez, I want to uh, uh, backtrack to a caller, a uh, gentleman, Ron, I believe, from Pittsburgh. Yep. He was in, in the right church, but he's <laughs> got to find his pew. Mm. Uh, the uh, oh, This whole trans kid thing, which uh, is in large part baloney slicing, mm-hmm. done not for the benefit of from sensitive of sensitive or complex individuals, the children or adults, for that matter. It's done for the guys who are going to make money on them. Some of the doctors and some of the hospitals and definitely big pharma. What are you going to give the kid? Hormone blockers, hormones on top of that a little later. It's for them to make money. It's not done for the benefit of that uh, individual kid. And please understand, I'm talking to you. I was a a, a teacher, special ed, Mm. with kids who were challenged in that way, okay? Mm -hmm. And where the other kids would roll their eyes to the ceiling sometimes over some of the realities of his challenge. And we all just cope with it. And I talked to his mother about it every once in a while in the course of the school year. Talked to her every week in general about the challenge he was facing. I don't know what happened to him as an adult, but as a teenager, both his fellow students and myself and his mother, we all just cope with it and we we let him grow. And down the line, him and his mother made some decisions about his life as an adult. I'm not going to tell you that we have to stop, uh, oh, the so-called, and I don't mean that condescendingly, but sex change operation, et cetera. I don't know what adults are going to make decisions they're going to make, but... I applaud you and some of your guests and some of your callers who are fighting right now, you and to a certain extent me, but really it's you and them. You're fighting to stop children from being assaulted by what is proclaimed as this liberating thing. No, Mm. it's not. It's an enslaving thing. It's the exact opposite of liberation. 
Well, Tommy, thank you for that. It's very kind to say that. And and I, I agree with you. Listen, you, you have to let adults do what they're going to do. Um, and you've got to protect kids. I think that's incumbent upon all of us. And I, I, I'm, I, I hate to think that I'm that old, but I, I am from a time where every adult was in charge when I walked around the streets, right? Every adult, every adult could be like, hey, what are you doing? Pick that up. And, you know, you had to do it. And if they didn't and they could get a hold of your parents, you know, don't think your parents were going to be like, oh, don't talk to my kid like that. That's not how it worked back in the day. It wasn't like that. My dad had to get embarrassed to hear from some neighbor or some other person that I said something or I got smart with some adult. You know, it wasn't going to wasn't going to go well for me. That's for sure. So uh, I think we've gotten away from our roots in that way. And uh, it's it's like I said, incumbent upon all of us to protect kids and uh, adults are going to do what they're going to do. And even in, in that regard, if you see someone that's about to jump off a bridge and they're an adult, you don't go, hey, look, they're an adult. You know, hey, listen, to, to each his own. Go ahead. Hey, bon voyage, pal. You, n- nobody says that, right? Everybody gets out of their car. It's, it's, it's not too late. You can do it. Give me your hand. Come on in. Right? Everybody tries to save the person trying to kill themselves. Uh, but yet we don't want to help the, the, the person that says, oh, my God, I feel like I'm trapped in the wrong body. I'm not, I'm not well. And I think that's wrong. I think it's very wrong to do that. Anyway, Tommy, big shout out to you and everybody uh, in West Virginia, WCHS in the building. Let's go to Kelvin. Kelvin's calling us from Logan, Utah, KVNU. Kelvin, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, Rich? I'm doing good, brother. Thank you. Good. Uh, Yeah, I just got off of work, so I didn't hear really any of the show, Uh, but it's been on my mind recently because I'm a fan of his original music and he's been kind of culturally and politically relevant, but I guess in a very broad question, what are your thoughts on Kanye West? Yeah. So Kanye West is an interesting guy. I I like Kanye West. Uh, I would love to interview him. Uh, I know he's made some radical comments and then he apologizes and he comes back. And I know that there's been some mental health issues and there was also comments that he made saying that these were the only ways this was the only way making these types of comments that he was going to be able to get out of uh, um, certain contracts that he had. And uh, I'd I'd love to, you know, to to double down and ask some follow-up questions on that because I I think that's an interesting thing to say. And um, clearly I think, you know, Kanye West has always been calling attention to uh, double standards in, in media, double standards in government, um, double standards in the music business and and the way that the self-dealing works. So I think to 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 in a nutshell, I think uh, Kanye West is a courageous and talented guy, uh, while also somebody that might be a little bit of a, of a loose cannon and shoot from the hip and and say things that he may not even mean. Um, and then sometimes double down on those things. And, you know, I would love to ask him, you know, really, what are your thoughts? I think I've seen enough of him saying certain things and then backtracking and saying, well, that's not exactly what I meant to, to have a sense that I don't think he hates the Jews. I think he has an interesting view or a nuanced view, if you will, on, 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 you know, who the Jews are, what the Jews are. I don't think it's a, it's a negative view per se. I think he has a negative view of people in the entertainment business who also happen to be Jewish. At least that's what I've perceived of, of his comments. Um, and uh, I'd like to learn more about it. So I really can't make a, a, a full determination on what I think of him as a person. Uh, what I think about him as an artist, I think uh, I, I love his old music. It's all in my playlist. Some of his newer music, the gospel stuff is also really good. 
And uh, I think the, the guy has always been a very, very talented musician. Uh, that's the type of music I listen to. It's my genre. So I'm really, really happy uh, when, uh, when I'm listening to some Kanye, for sure. But uh, when it comes to him as a, a culturally, culturally relevant figure, uh, I agree with you. He's, he's been uh, bombastic and he's been uh, uh, very, very vocal on certain things. And I'd love to really, really have an opportunity. Don't know if I'll get that opportunity. I don't know if he does late night uh, interviews and we're live and we tend to be live most of the days. Um, it's very rare that we're not. So don't know if it's going to happen, but those are kind of my thoughts, Kelvin. Well, I appreciate that feedback. I think it's a pretty grounded approach. Like it's good to hear, you know, his, his music and stuff. He's obviously undeniably talented and it's tough as a fan of the music. Sometimes when he does go out on a limb with, I think, I think the main thing with him is shock factor. That's what he's trying to get when he goes out. He goes yeah. on those interviews and says things like that. And I kind of align with you, right? I don't think he's a, a hateful person when it comes to that stuff. Um, but he, for his whole career, and now especially towards uh, this stage of his career, he's used to being able to get that shock factor. And I just find it it's interesting, right? He's almost the uncancelable guy. Now, I don't know if he'll ever bounce back from some of the damage that he caused with his initial statements more recently. Um, but like, again, he just dropped an album and it's number one, you know, he's got multiple yeah. songs on there. Number one. And, uh, and regardless of the quality of the music, right. It's just, he's that culturally relevant. So it's interesting. I wonder if, if maybe it's an antidote to some of the cancel culture we've had, right. Like preaching that forgiveness and the ability to have freedom of speech without the radical consequences we've seen. But I appreciate your take on it, and uh, sure. like I said, I didn't get a chance to do the show, but I'll probably listen back to it, but appreciate the uh, that take on it, and hope it's been a good night for you so far. Amen to that, brother. Well, thank you. I appreciate the call, and good conversation. I think it was a really interesting question, and when the, the part that you said, the uncancelable part, I think that's, that's a, an interesting part, right? Uh, because that is, I think, where people want to be. And I think some of that comes with becoming almost like larger than life as an artist where, you know, you've got some of these people that just they they have this built in fan base where it just it doesn't matter what they say. And then there's also I mean, there's people that will jump off the Kanye West bandwagon when they hear him say things. Go, oh, I'm not messing with this guy. Uh, but then there's also people that jump on just because he said certain things and not because they're anti-Semitic in, in any way uh, or I should say per se. But because he's kind of speaking truth to power and people like that. And I think that's the basis of a lot of music that has its roots in rebellion. Uh, whether, you know, like N.W.A., uh, when they were talking about cop killer and stuff like that, uh, that stuff wasn't uh, anti-Semitic. It was just kind of countercultural. It was going against the grain. It was uh, rebellious. And it, it resonated with a lot of people because that's what was, you know, this is why people felt the way they felt. So um, great call. I appreciate it, Kelvin. Big shout out to everybody listening in Utah. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Democrats have got to start getting pissed. Joe Biden has done a great job. Joe Biden has overseen the best economy in my lifetime. He has overseen getting NATO together and defending Ukraine, handling Israel deftly, keeping this country at, coming out of COVID. He's done everything right. The other guy is insane. Joe Biden is 80 plus years old. Yes, he is. He has been a competent, effective leader. The Democrats need to get pissed and start fighting. So that's Donnie Deutsch. He's on uh, The Morning Joke today on MSNBC. And he says Democrats need to get pissed and start fighting. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what have they been doing? Lollygagging, falling up the stairs, falling off their bike while they're eating ice cream and telling people if they don't know if they're voting for Biden or Biden, voting for Trump that they're not black. Maybe that is what they've been doing. Who knows? But I can tell you this. It seems to me that Donnie Deutsch is a little upset and he's upset because Trump is doing well. Trump is doing well legally. He's doing well politically. All, all systems are go. I'm not saying he's winning the election just yet. It's an uphill battle. It's uh, Clearly, he's running against an incumbent. But, wow, the Democrats are really upset. They're falling apart, at least the ones on MSNBC like Donnie Deutsch. They, uh, they've had enough, right? Democrats have to get pissed and start fighting. How do you recommend that they start fighting? Because I think they're angry to begin with. Every time I hear Chuck Schumer mention anything, he's angry. Right. Every time he says anything, he's angry uh, unless he's thanking his rhino friends in the Senate for, you know, getting him ninety five billion dollars for his friends. But um, Schumer's typically uh, a pretty angry fellow. Right. I mean, that, that's how he's always struck me as of late. He's always very, very angry. But he's also sticking up for Joe Biden, where he says that Biden's mental acuity is very sharp. I'm going to play that one for you when we come back from the next break. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I talk to President Biden, you know, regularly, off sometimes several times in a week, or usually several times in a week. His mental acuity is great. It's fine. It's as good as it's been over the years. I've been speaking to him for 30 years since we worked on the Brady Bill and the assault weapons ban when I was a young congressman. <laughs> um, and um, he's 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 fine. All this right wing propaganda that his mental acuity has declined is wrong. He's going to win the election because he has a great record, because um, more and more Americans are seeing that record. So there's Schumer saying, listen, his mental acuity is great. I don't know who I don't think Schumer's friends even believe. Right. Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Labruja Pelosi. She doesn't believe for a second that Biden's mental acuity is unmatched. Nobody's believing what Chuck Schumer is saying. This is why guys like him lose credibility. Actually, we should have included this cut in our uh, newly featured segment called uh, Creatures from the Red and Blue Lagoon, which is our swamp feature. 
where um, we play clips from swamp creatures saying what they say. And uh, that would have been a good addition for that. But let me tell you, Chuck Schumer is missing the mark here, uh, in my opinion, grossly missing the mark. Everybody knows that, including Biden's own special counsel, that he is an elderly man who's feeble, whose memory is failing, and he's not equal to the task. That's a given. For people to come out here and just, you know, try to support him and try to make it look like nothing's happening, sweeping everything under the rug, not a good look, in my opinion. But what are we going to do? This is where the, the, the hand we've been dealt. And, of course, El Trumpito has his work cut out for him. And running against the guy who's going to forget his name. He's going, my opponent, he's uh, with NATO, and he's the president of Mexico, and he, he ain't black. I got hairy legs, right? You know, who knows what Biden's going to say? He tends to forget things all the time, and it may not even be a fair match anymore. So we'll see how this continues to play out. I still believe that there's going to be a switcheroo at some point. I don't believe it'll be Michelle Obama. Uh, I don't know who it'll be, but um, my hope is that it won't be Biden. But we'll see. I mean, he is the incumbent, and he's got that, um, that power of uh, incumbency protection, if you will. So we'll see how it plays out. But anyway, folks, that's it for me. I um, I will be back with you tomorrow. Until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless you, America. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.